Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And welcome to the very first Faces of RFR. I am very excited to introduce to you the brand new support group leader for the brand new group in Sydney, Australia, uh, uh, Sherry D'Souza. So um, what follows will be the interview that Sherry and I have. It's really good, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Well, Sherry, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So I kind of... uh, jumped over the first question, but what's your name and where are you located? (laughs) My name is Sherry D'Souza and I'm located in Sydney, Australia. Awesome. Uh, I am just super excited to really get to meet you. Um, I've heard a lot about a lot of great things about you and uh, I'm just really happy to get to work with you. Uh, What, uh, so I, again, I kind of uh, spoiled it, but what uh, RFR program (laughs) are you working for? So I have recently become a support group leader for the very first support group in Australia, and I am so excited. (laughs) That's so cool. That's so cool. I think you and I are like 18 hours difference or something like that. Yeah, something silly, something silly. silly Yeah, um, Yeah. what's kind of neat is that I've got daylight out in my window, and you're in tomorrow, and you've got daylight out of your window. It's like one of those narrow windows of time where we can both be in daylight yes. yeah yeah well that's looking a little overcast out there today so is it uh you just recently had some fires and uh those have kind of calmed down quite a bit yeah the fires were finally all put out uh in i think it was early march um yeah, that was a horrendous summer. I've never seen anything like that before. It was just absolutely horrific. For several weeks in December, we had ash and blackened gum leaves and debris raining on the house for a few weeks. It was just, and, and really I've got nothing to complain about compared to some of the horror others went through. And then after the fires, we then got floods. And we were <laughs> flooded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if, you, if you've burned everything on the ground and there's nothing really to contain the water, then that water will just slide right on down and take yeah. all of that with it and debris and and stuff too. Yeah, we had a weekend in February that finally broke a drought of about two three years, and it rained solid for about three days. I think we had something like it had to be over two hundred millimeters of rain in that time period it was just epic and so of course um there was some flooding as a result of all of that now i know it is about 25 millimeters so 200 would be eight inches yeah it's a lot yeah it's a lot in a short period of time um yeah so 2020 is just rocking it really because we've had fires and and floods and now we've got a pandemic so hey yeah so but you aren't stuck at home you actually have to be out there working kind of on the front lines what uh, tell me what you do for a living 
So I am an essential worker. I work in healthcare. I'm not clinically trained at all. So I'm not a nurse or I'm in, admitted, I'm in administration. So um, for the last nine years, I was practice manager for a, a cancer clinic in Sydney that had three locations. Um, I resigned that position in October last year to start my own business and start working for myself as a freelance practice manager and uh, not without irony, my first client <laughs> is the practice that I just left. So I'm back there with a vengeance right now because I'm, I'm helping them navigate how we treat melanoma patients throughout this pandemic, which is not without its challenges. So I'm based at the moment at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital and I'm there three days a week, and that hospital has one of the coronavirus clinics there, so I can just look out my window and see yeah. what's happening. Yeah, um, yeah but so yes, I'm, I'm considered an essential worker, and I've got a letter with me to support the fact that I'm an essential worker because the police have started pulling people over and making sure that they're complying with social distancing and with the order to stay home. So I'm covered. I'm out there because I have to be. Well, thank you so much for the, the work you put in. Uh, I mean, I feel like uh, I just am in awe of the folks who are literally risking their lives because there are healthcare workers, there's grocery um, store workers, uh, restaurant workers who are beginning to die from this COVID-19. And uh, so thank you very much for, for just being dedicated to what you do. Yeah, thank you for that, Eric. We, we do feel it very keenly that um, we want to look after our patients because melanoma doesn't take a break during this time. It's not going to go into lockdown. It's going to continue. So um, the surgeons I work with are very anxious to make sure that they can continue to deliver care to those who need it that can't wait until things resolve. And that is proving to be challenging. Um, it's, it's, the, it's not the direct effects of COVID. It's the indirect effects that we're sort of dealing with. So we're not at not at risk as the frontline workers who are dealing with coronavirus directly, but we are at a higher risk because we're in the area. Right. So we've taken all the precautions that we need to. We're having another disaster planning meeting this afternoon to work out what happens if there is more encroachment, like how far do we have to go before it does get even more serious, but um, we're taking it in our stride. Yeah. Got it. Well, on a lighter note, what do you, uh, when you have free time, which I imagine you don't have much now, when you have free time, what do you like to do? What are some of your hobbies? Uh, so I've recently become more acquainted with one of my hobbies that I haven't pulled out for a long time. I love to do needlework. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've heard Dr. Ray speak about that, that he's finished one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've done, my goodness, uh, probably about 12 or 13 and I've got another three in the pipelines of course I just can't have one going I've got to have multiples um, but yeah I really enjoy that I find it quite soothing to just lose my mind yeah. on a chart and just have to count it out and to see this picture come to life on a blank bit of fabric I just I love that I think it's um it's really quite soothing and relaxing for me so I love that uh, I like reading and I love sitting on the couch with my hubby watching Netflix and getting into sci-fi. We love Star Trek and 
<laughs> all sorts of different shows. So, yeah, I enjoy those kind of activities. Um, but not too much time for it, but I do try to make sure that I do make time for it because it's important to do, to look after yourself too. Now, have you two been watching the uh, Picard, uh, recent Picard? Yes, we just finished it and yeah. we needed therapy at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It had us, we were just sat there stunned at the end of it. Like, what did we just watch? It, <laughs> it is, was one roller coaster. Yeah, my wife and I enjoyed it quite a bit too. <laughs> I, I've been trying to get um, Sasha to sit down and watch Discovery with me because I really got into Discovery. Discovery was just... Oh. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's really good too. It is yeah. really good. I, I like them all. I even like Enterprise. Uh, you know, Scott Bakula is a goofball to me, but I kind of <laughs> like the like the origin story of Star Trek. Not necessarily yeah. it's way before the next or the uh, the original series. Yeah, yeah, but you know, people watching this don't care about what we think of this. No, I know, I know. We could go down that rabbit hole <laughs> quite a quite a bit, couldn't we? We've talked about that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so um, have you ever uh, in the past considered your, or even in the present, considered yourself religious? <laughs> yes. Yeah? What, what's yes. that story? Um, so I was raised a Jehovah's Witness and um, was born in 1974. There you go. You can work out the math. <laughs> um, this was recorded I... in 1996. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're very good at that. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so I was I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, and um, I took that very seriously, and was baptized as a witness at the age of fourteen, and became a full time volunteer when I was sixteen in the organisation that's called a Regular Pioneer, and that means that you devote ninety hours a month to going door to door and teaching the Bible. And that's as an unpaid volunteer, so you have to support yourself financially with part-time work. And I did that for 10 years mm. until I was 26. So I would classify myself as a, at that point in time, I was very devoted and dedicated. Um, and I, I'm still trying to reconcile <laughs> the, the, the growth and the, the difference in who I was then to who I am now. And I... I still at times pinch myself and just, yeah, I'm still trying to work through that because it's only been recent for me. Um, I only, the, so Jehovah's Witnesses, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses will call the process waking up mm -hmm. from your indoctrination. So um, I woke up from my indoctrination in November 2016. So it's still relatively new for me and I'm still working my way through it. Yeah, it's about four years old, and, and that was a traumatic experience for not only you, but uh, the rest of your family. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. I, I um, Yeah, it's hard to, to work your way through all of that because um, I tread very carefully in the early days because you're so terrified of the implications of what realising the religion you've been raised in is false. Mm -hmm. and that you've been lied to, you have all of these emotions over betrayal and anger and disbelief, um, but you have to keep a lid on it because if you don't keep that quiet and your family 
finds out about that, it, it becomes, it compounds the whole issue. So I was very careful about what I said to family in the early days um, until it became obvious. And uh, by the time it was obvious, I was emotionally and mentally ready for that. I was able to handle the situation as calmly and as balanced and as kindly and compassionately to them as I could. So I don't have I don't have any regrets through the process. Um, I'm happy with how I manage the situation, both internally for myself and for those around me. Doesn't change the fact that at the end of it. I don't have a relationship with any of my family. Um, they have chosen to to not be involved with me at all. And that's um, a um, big. That is a big part of the religion, and and I think it's also a intentional part of the, the religion that keeps members who are doubting in the community and keeps them from leaving. Because uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jehovah's Witnesses encourage family members to completely turn away, disown shun um, the, the apostates, the folks who no longer believe in the, their religion. Yeah, so you're right, it's codified. Um, it's it's down in black and white and it is an expectation, but there's, there's levels of it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, even before you get to that extreme of you're an apostate, you've turned away, you must be cut off completely. There are degrees of it beforehand and Sasha and I were already experiencing that. We we stopped attending meetings in 2015. Mm -hmm. And the moment you start doing that and you're not attending regularly and you're not actively involved, it's, we call it soft shunning. The family and your friends just start to distance from you. You don't hear from them as much. You don't get invited to family events. You, you just, you're not included. They right. haven't cut you off entirely because you will hear from them now and then. Uh, and they will take your calls if you initiate contact, but there is a reserve there. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were already experiencing that. That was already happening. Um, instances occurred where I went up to Brisbane uh, for a work conference and I have an aunt and two cousins up there and I just put it on Instagram that I was coming up. I, I didn't want to confront them with the fact that I was coming up and put them in an awkward position. But um, so I put it on Instagram and... I learned later that that initiated a family meeting to discuss were they or were they not going to see Sherry while she was up here. And this was in this was in 2016, but it was before I woke up. <laughs> and um, of that, my aunt and one cousin decided, no, Sherry was too much of a bad associate to see. But my other cousin did uh, see me and um, we, we had a nice meal together. So that already happens. Yeah, and then when so you you hadn't fully um, you hadn't fully stopped believing in what you were taught, and they were still starting to um, quietly shun you because you just didn't go to the service. Yes, yes, you are considered spiritually weak if you are not attending every meeting, and if you aren't active in the ministry and going door to door. If you're not doing those things, if you're not seen to be doing those things then you are regarded spiritually weak. And if you're spiritually weak, you're a bad associate. Wow. And they they love to use um, trigger scriptures for that, that they cherry pick. And, oh, my goodness, I'm going to try to remember. <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost good that you don't. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But I'm going to trigger myself here. 
I think it's 1 Corinthians 15.33 that says, bad associations spoil useful habits. Oh, my God. <laughs> they will draw that out and, and they will say, if, if you have an associate that is not involved in useful habits, so what are useful habits? Well, of course, they are your relationship with Jehovah and your your uh, attendance at meetings that shows your relationship with Jehovah. So if you're not doing those things, you're not you you don't have useful habits. Yeah. Therefore, it follows that you're a bad associate. So when my relationship with my father was terminated, um, it was because of that. Uh, he knew that I was not attending. I was inactive because. He thought I was stumbled and discouraged over the religion's covering up and mishandling of child sexual abuse. And the Australian Royal Commission into Institutional Response to Child Sex Abuse, uh, which occurred in 2015, mm -hmm. it studied, Jehovah's Witnesses were one of the case studies, they were case study 29. And he knew that I was upset about that because that's what I sort of focused on. I didn't tell him about all of the other issues I had, I just <laughs> focused on that one. Right. Um, and that really was what woke me up because in November 2016, I read the findings report from the Royal Commission on Case Study 29 and it was just horrific. It was that existential crisis moment of this is not true, everything I believed is wrong, the, the whole house of cards just completely collapsed. Um, so Dad just thought it was about that. It was just about that, like you could minimise it. Um, <laughs> Gosh, and that was over a thousand victims. A thousand and six victims? Uh, no, sorry, a thousand and six accusers, perpetrators. The victims were 1,844. Wow. So and 1,800, over 1,800 victims. victims I would yes. Imagine, but a thousand perpetrators. And this is Correct. Just, just in Australia? Just in Australia, just in Australia from 1950 and where we're getting these figures from is actually from the organization itself mm. so the royal commission subpoenaed this information from the headquarters and that is the records they discovered that watchtower was holding in sydney so they were keeping records yes yes they knew what was going yes wow and not one of those cases was reported to the police by the organisation. Not one. This is the literal definition of a cover-up. Uh-huh, exactly. So now, Eric, let's just take this a little bit further afield here. Right. So just to put this into context, um, the Royal Commission discovered that the Catholic Church that has a membership of 5 million here in Australia there were 4,444 perpetrators. Perpetrators? Perpetrators in, I'm pretty sure I got that right. I might have to fact check that. But that was out of 5 million. Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses have a membership of 68,000. Oh, And wow. yet you have a thousand, right. So just let's put that into that little context. So I'm and kind then, of quickly running the math here, and it's like in the Catholic Church, it was way less than 1%. In the Jehovah's Witness Church, it was like 0.2%. Yeah, so you're at a higher percent that is, and It's a lot higher too. Yes, wow. of, being, of being abused. Now, caveat to that that I just have to 
clarify is that in the Catholic Church, those cases were priests. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, no, he's just working it out. <laughs> uh, it's like 3%. Hmm. Two and a half, three percent. Holy crap. All right, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that that it's quite stunning when you realize that. Um, the the sort of caveat to that is that the Catholic Church ones, the offenses were mainly by the priests themselves. Mm-hmm. In the Jehovah's Witnesses, though, it was cases that the organization knew about. So some of them were by leadership, by elders or ministerial servants. But some of them were familial or other members in the organization. But it was the fact that they mishandled the cases, that yeah. they knew about them. They had a database on them, yeah. but didn't report them. Mm. So if you take this internationally, you begin to realize how much of a problem Jehovah's Witnesses have because really Australia was just a the initial foray into to what we're seeing worldwide organisationally. And there have been, uh, well, in the UK, unfortunately COVID-19 has postponed it, but ICSA is the inquiry, independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, which is kind of the UK's equivalent nearly to the Royal Commission. And they're going to be investigating Jehovah's Witnesses as well. There's been a whole lot uh, going on to try to expose what is happening within the, the organisation. And um, if we we talk about how we know they've got a database, if you examine some of the literature that the organisation has, their manuals and guidebooks, they instruct elders that if there is an allegation of child sexual abuse that happens in their congregation, the first thing they are to do is to call the legal department. Don't pass go, don't pay $200, don't call the police, don't do anything like that. Go straight to the legal department. Wow. And then you are to complete a form and you are to put it into a blue envelope and send that to the branch. And the branch will guide you, the legal department will guide you through how you are supposed to deal with this with this particular allegation. Wow. So we know that there are blue envelopes galore and they, they have recorded all of that. There have been cases in the States where law firms, um, particularly Erwin Zolkin's firm, um, have subpoenaed the database to try to get the database. And Watchtower has just flatly refused to do it, it to the extent that one of the courts, and I, I really should have done more research to make sure I'm quoting things correctly, um, I think it was in California, where um, because Watchtower refused to comply with this and just said, not going to do it, they were charged $4,000 a day until the court, until the case was actually settled. Wow. And that ran into millions. So, yes, so to take all of that back to my father and shunning, (laughs) he knew it. This was one of, this was the key thing that, where you lost your belief in the, yep. the, the, the religion you were raised in. Yeah, that, that was the, the whole, that was the Jenga block. Mm-hmm. That once that came out, everything else just toppled. Yeah. Um, because I, 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 I find it so horrific and abhorrent. I just, I cannot, I can't comprehend their stance towards this. I cannot comprehend 
that the reputation and the standing of the organization, the image of the organization is more important than protecting children. Yeah. I, I just do not understand that and I mm. can't accept it. And so morally, I could I felt like a hypocrite. I could not remain part of an organization that did this and that had no intention of changing. Yeah. They, they're defiant about it. Um, the Royal Commission had three recommendations that they want the organisation to, to change. And really, I find those recommendations quite, um, they're sensitive to not changing core beliefs of the organisation, but just as far as they pertain to child sexual abuse. So the first one is they have to get rid of the two witness rule. <laughs> the two witness rule is an old archaic thing that came from um, the Old Testament where you could not bring an accusation to the, the old men of the village unless it was by two witnesses, yeah. So they will not handle a allegation of child sexual abuse on the basis of one witness. So, of course, the commission goes, you want to have the two witness rule over all sorts of other issues? Fine. But as far as child sexual abuse is concerned, get rid of the two witness rule. It is not to apply to this. The second thing is... They want the commission recommended that women have more of an active role in supporting the uh, the survivors of child sexual abuse through the process because Jehovah's Witnesses have an internal judicial system mm-hmm. and it, and that actually traumatizes the victim in some cases as much as the actual abuse and in some cases more than the abuse. Yeah, because, I mean, absolutely. If we can tell that the, the, the Jehovah's Witness Church is trying to hide that uh, child abuse data and information, then of course the court, the, the internal court, is, is, that's where they're, they're standing. They're, they will definitely not be on the, the favorable to the victims. No, and, and the, the stories of abuse from elders in how they have mismanaged accusations are just horrific. When you've got people who have been so crushed and so damaged from such a horrific thing happening to them, they finally get the courage to go and tell one of the elders. They've been indoctrinated all their life that that's who they should go to who will help them through this. And then they have to face a panel of three men who are going to ask you the most intimate questions. They want to know all the details of what happened and you've got no support there for yourself. Right. So the Royal Commission said, "Mm, you realise how traumatic this is, what you're doing? You need to have a woman present. You must give that option. If you don't want to have a woman involved in the actual decision-making side of things, okay, but in the investigation part of it, you must provide a woman for support. And this is a patriarchal organisation. It ain't ever going to happen, but that was the second recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Third recommendation, and this gets us neatly back to where we started with this, is that those who are child abuse survivors who can no longer tolerate being part of the organisation, they're just so damaged from it, and they choose to leave, they're not to be shunned. Do not shun them. Don't compound it well, by shunning them. 
this is a rec yeah this th that's the recommendation so those three points yeah. are the three recommendations from the royal commission to the organization that report was released 28th of november 2016. here we are in 2020 at the end of every year now, 2017, 2018, 2019, there's a progress report where the Royal Commission presents it to the Australian Government to say, these were all the recommendations that came out of the whole Commission. Here's our progress in achieving those outcomes and getting those recommendations to happen. Take a guess, Eric, at how many of those you think Watchtower has done. They have done absolutely nothing. That's correct. That's correct. And yet, <laughs> last year, we, uh, we had a bit of an event here in Sydney where we had quite a number of uh, leading apostates come to Sydney. And one of the things that uh, they got up to was they went and visited Bethel, the uh, headquarters here in Sydney. Somehow they got in. I just, I'm still stunned at that. But they so, got in. Uh, just, just to back up, each country has its own Bethel. In a Jehovah's Witness uh, Bethel, is that correct? Each, or each maybe region? Yeah, so they used to. They used to have a lot of Bethels in or branches uh, across the globe. Mm -hmm. They have shut down a few. So, for an example, uh, New Zealand's branch was closed a few years ago and some of them came to Australia. So Australia's branch looks after Australia, New Zealand, most of the South Pacific, so all of the islands, Fiji, etc. They look after all of that that territory. Um, there's, so it's like a Jehovah's Witness regional headquarters. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. And they kind of dictate what the the smaller churches uh, in, uh, do. Yes. Yeah, so the branch here in Australia is has oversight over all of the congregations in its area, yeah. but it it has to report back to World Headquarters, which is in Warwick, in upstate New York. Got it. So yeah, that's kind of organisationally uh, how it happens. Um, where was I? I uh, so they managed to somehow get in to that's the right. That's right. That's right. And. Now, who, now, must, who were they again? Who were they again? So, Sasha was there, my husband. Huh? Uh, Lloyd Evans, who is the senior editor these of were, JW these Survey. Were these yeah. were that managed yep. to get into the Bethel. Yep. Uh, Lloyd also has the John Cedars YouTube channel, which has about 65,000 subscribers, I think, now. And uh, he puts out a lot of video content um, debunking and rebutting. Uh, things that the organisation releases and does. Uh, we also had Mark O'Donnell uh, over who, Mark is, he's in Baltimore in Maryland and he does an incredible amount of work, particularly in the area of child sexual abuse. He's a consultant to several law firms to advise them on strategies that Jehovah's Witnesses use. Um, does an incredible amount of work. Um, and we also had Paul Grundy who is an Australian, and Paul Grundy started one of the, if not the, uh, main website that ex-Jehovah's Witnesses will say was just their lifesaver. Mm. It's called jwfacts.com. Mm, okay. uh, and it's very, un, it's not, it's not an emotive. See, the organisation will say that apostates are bitter. They only want to tear your faith down, right? They're, they're 
they're just the worst of the worst. They're influenced by Satan, of course, and they're just going to be mean, nasty, bitter. You go to JW Facts and Paul Grundy, the way he's done it is so well because it's clinically detached. It's just all about facts. It's dispassionate. There's no ranting. There's no anger or emotion. And it, it feels like a safe place to go. So it's hugely successful. Yeah. Um, so that's who we had. Yeah, and, they, and they let those people in. They let them in. They let them in. <laughs> this them was in. last I, year? Yeah, in June. In June. And um, <laughs> Sasha was, I, I actually was supposed to go along, but I, um, I chickened out. It was too triggering for me to go to. I yeah. just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But anyway, Sasha's sending me photos as they're going through the tour. And I'm like, I cannot believe you. And then <laughs> it must have been Jehovah's blessing because they bump into the branch committee coordinator. Oh my. Terry O'Brien, who was on the panel at the Royal Commission and who had to testify. And they've got photos with him. Oh, Just incredible. Uh, Sasha and Mark then end up having a conversation with uh, another branch committee member. And Mark, he, so, so he's, he's pretending to be a witness. So, brother, tell me, um, how, how are you guys coping here after the Royal Commission? Like, how's it all going? And, and Winston answers it saying, oh, look, we shouldn't have even been there. We're not even an institution. We should not have been there. But it's all over. It's done with, you know, nothing to worry about. And Mark asks about the recommendations. And Winston said, oh, we've done them all. We don't need to do anything about it. He flatly lied. Wow. This is their attitude. Yeah. The attitude is just... Um, Blase and... Yeah. They're still yeah. operating on their old, um, old, their old system. Exactly. Exactly. This will go away. Yes. Yeah. Or that it's everybody else's fault. That this is actually satanic persecution. Mm. They're getting persecuted oh, through yes. this. Yes. The martyr complex. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, as I'm learning all of this, and I'm trying to deal with my own emotional response to this. My father falls very unwell. He uh, gets pancreatitis and uh, he's in the ICU at the local hospital, intubated on life support for 15 days. And I'm the one who lives closest, so I go and help out. Um, he's in He ends up being in hospital for, for five, six weeks. And uh, when they go to discharge him, they don't want to discharge him because they don't think he's going to be right in his own care. But the deal was that if I took on enduring guardianship and power of attorney and monitored the situation, then he could be discharged home. And so I agreed to do that in amongst all of this. Um, and, I, and I took my responsibility seriously of looking after him, took him to all his doctor's appointments, paid his bills, organised his shopping, you know, yada, 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 all that stuff. Um, and then fast forward to another year into 2018, and during this time that I'm caring for him, he's, oh, you know, he's he's upset. He's, and I, I get it. He's deeply distressed that his daughter, who had been a regular pioneer all this time, who'd been the spiritual shining light of the family. You were you were the perfect example, uh, like the ideal Jehovah's Witness for 
not only uh, you know as a believer, but also for your 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 gender too. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So he he's having trouble reconciling the sherry that he knew then to the sherry now, who's not going to any meetings and who has missed memorials. Mm -hmm. like memorials are the be all and end all. If you if you miss one of them, something's seriously wrong with you. And I've missed two by this stage. Um, we just had one he, recently, didn't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Last week. Last yeah, last Monday. Last or week. Monday, yeah. Monday a week ago. Yeah. That's right. So um, he's trying to reconcile that, and he's oh, you know, I hope you'll come back, and you know, I understand the organisation has done some wrong things, and and you know, but Jehovah will sort it out, and Jehovah will clean it up, and you know, you need to come back because the end's getting closer, and la la la, and I'm saying to him. I do not understand why it takes Satan's organization to tell God's organization how to protect children. Oh my gosh. Wow. That is an amazing point. But it's really as simple as that. Yes. I, I totally got it. <laughs> I totally got it. Honestly, if you are claiming to be God's only organization on earth, you should be blazing the path ahead of everybody Absolutely. saying this is how you do it. Yeah. But instead, you're having to be pulled into court. You're having to pay millions and millions of dollars in fines because you're getting it wrong. Yeah. So I said to him, until I see them get do until I see them do the recommendations, don't even talk to me about coming back. Yeah. It's not happening. So he was starting to find this harder and harder to accept. And Watchtower then put the nail in the coffin because they put out a Watchtower article that was studied by the congregation in October of 2018. And the whole article was about loyalty to God. And it questioned your association. Who are you associating with? Who do you spend your time with? Are these individuals that encourage you to have a strong relationship with God? Do they promote your spiritual activities? Mm. Yeah. Or are they people that aren't witnesses and all they talk about is getting money or career progression or family matters, but they're not focused on God? Should you really be spending time with these people, even if they're your family? Or hiding child abuse allegations. Should you really be spending time with these people? Yeah, funny how that doesn't get mentioned. Oh, wow. So he read that out to us one particular day, and um, I thought, well, you've just backed yourself into a corner. What are you going to do? Uh, within a few days after he read us that um, paragraph, he sent me a card to tell me that he was going to have to cut the relationship with me because he felt that having any relationship with me was going to be an act of disloyalty to God. Wow. So, yeah. Painful. Oh, look, um, I was bracing myself for it. And, in fact, he was the only reason that I wasn't more active as an activist at that point in time because I didn't want him to find out by someone saying, look what Sherry's up to. I, I didn't want that to be the scenario. I wanted it to be an honest conversation. And in the end, I got that honest conversation. Yeah. Because yeah. I was able to explain to him whether he agreed with it or not. And it was very hard for him to hear. Um, I, I had to explain to him, I'm not going back. I do not believe the organisation is true. In fact, I have analysed the Bible now with critical thinking 
and I don't believe that the Bible is real either. Yeah. Um, I know it was very hard for him to hear, but I thought if you're going to do this, then let's take the Band-Aid off completely and I'll explain to you clearly how it is. He didn't react well. Mm. He didn't react well at all. But um, I'm happy with how I handled the situation. Um, and so because, because that's happened, I no longer have any restraint. Now I am able to be who I truly am and am able to be involved to the level that I want to be involved in. So because of that, I don't really regret what's happened. He's he's now moved down to be closer to my sister and she's caring for him. So that's fine. That's okay. I, I'm, I'm reconciled with that. Yeah. So how would you describe your current beliefs? So I would describe them as atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was quite a conclusion to come to. I felt that as I started to deconvert from Jehovah's Witness indoctrination, that I really had to analyze what my beliefs were surrounding the Bible and God. I couldn't I couldn't dismantle all of the witness stuff without looking at those. So I started to ask myself questions on why do I believe there's a God? And when I analysed that honestly, I realised it was entirely subjective and untrustworthy as a result. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose the thing that I want to uh, temper it with, though, is that one of the things I most disliked about myself as a witness was how dogmatic I was, mm. how exacting yeah. how judgmental how oh Un- unchanging like you couldn't, yes. you couldn't change your mind no just completely closed-minded to, to things um i don't want to ever be that again so i'm cognizant of that and so i'm trying not to be dogmatic about saying i'm atheist i kind of want to say maybe perhaps i'm leaning more towards agnostic atheism Sure. And and I only say that because I don't want to fall into that dogmatic trap. I don't know. I can't say definitely. Right. But based on my life's experience and what I'm trying to educate myself with, I think it's highly unlikely there is a God, but I don't want to be dogmatic about it. So, and I don't want to be closed-minded. I want to be open to new information, skeptical about it, but secular skepticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds so, like um, if yeah. you were presented with evidence that there is a God, like actual real evidence that there is a God, you would change your mind. Well, I, I, yeah, I'd need to be presented with said evidence, though. Right. I think it's highly unlikely you're going to get that evidence. But, <laughs> but if you could present it, I mean, I don't think I would be the only one who no. would be reevaluating in that particular case. Yeah, but, I'd be um, with you too. Yeah, I I would have a lot of questions for such a God if you were able to prove he existed. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's where I stand now. That's where I I feel most aligned to. Um, I don't want to be deceived ever again if I can help it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and you kind of touched on a little bit, but... Have you? How do you feel that your previous beliefs currently affect you? Like, what kind of just what kind of uh, what's a few things that you would feel 
affect you on a daily or weekly or monthly basis that pop up from your old belief system? That's a really interesting question, and I'm still working through all of that. Uh, one of the harsh realizations I came to about two years ago through this process, oh, you know, when you have to acknowledge parts of yourself that you really don't like, yeah. <laughs> and then you got to realize where that came from. So I had to recognize that I had a need for control in my life, and I began, and I and I don't like that about myself. I don't like that at all. I just, I it makes me repulse from it, but. But I had to realize that a lot of that came from my upbringing that and especially amongst the witnesses, because it's such a controlling organization that controls every aspect of your life, who you're friends with, what your entertainment is, how you dress, what your speech is like, even the color of your hair and your nails. Mm. Like it just governs everything that I, I, I had. A, uh, you're not a natural redhead. <laughs> No, <laughs> no. And at this stage of my life, Eric, I think my hair colour would be a little closer to yours. <laughs> and there's no way we're letting that happen. <laughs> I think it looks fantastic. I really like that colour. Thank you. I really like it. <laughs> it's going to be a challenge to maintain this colour during <laughs> the pandemic, but... um. We'll yeah, do what we can. I've seen that meme. Yeah, we're about two weeks away from knowing everybody's true hair color. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not letting that happen. I'm telling you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can totally understand how um, once you kind of give up, uh, give into the belief system, how being controlled feels comfortable. Yeah. Yes, and that you have this need to control the area that you can within your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I began to recognise I was falling, I had fallen headlong into the trap of, and that was affecting my relationships with others and how I was viewing myself. Yeah. So that's still a work in progress. I'm still working my way through that. As I move through the the things that I'm coming to terms with now more recently, there's two of them. The first is how I handle mistakes that I make. As a witness, it, it, the concept of sin and the concept of um, when you fail, you berate yourself so heavily. And this would be, I, th I would imagine, universal across all Christian fundamentalist belief systems, that this concept of sin and failure um, and not being worthy and that Christ's sacrifice is there. I, Christianity teaches grace. Jehovah's Witnesses, <laughs> they teach it as undeserved kindness, that you don't deserve Christ's sacrifice. And yet he's done it anyway. So your gratitude for that, like you can never be grateful enough because it's undeserved. So when you do something wrong, you the, the guilt and the shame that you beat yourself with is totally irrational it is off the chart unreasonable so i and i've had to realize hang on you are actually allowed to make mistakes you're human and that's kind of past the course of being a human and you don't need to be putting yourself through this 
accept that you've made a mistake. And so mindfulness is actually helping me with that. Learning how to do meditation and mindfulness to just be uh, observing my emotions without judgment, just to accept that and be okay with it and go, okay, well, pick yourself up and what would you do differently? And let's just focus on that. So I'm still working through that. And then the second one that I'm just recently sort of coming to terms with is how women are viewed within the organisation and the type of woman I want to be now. So that is, that's a whole other journey because women are so repressed in the organisation, you are defined by the man in your life. Mm. So you are either your father's daughter or your husband's wife or so-and-so's brother, sister, <laughs> uh, you get the idea um, that you're never actually able to stand on your own two feet and be you and I had not realised how much of an effect that that had on me um, and so trying to sort of find my own way forward as myself, as a woman being proud of that having confidence to back myself um, yeah, that, that's another thing that I, as I'm doing it, there'll be throwbacks from the religion. Come, random thoughts come into your head that you're like, hang on, where did you come from? Get yeah. out of my head. Yeah. yeah. So I have a very good therapist <laughs> and and he's helping me too through, through all of this because I recognise that for me to do the kind of work I'm wanting to do with recovering from religion, I need to make sure as much as I can, that I'm the best version of me to be able to do that. So in order for me to give out, I need to put into me. So that's what I'm trying to do is um, to give myself that level of attention so that I can give others attention. Yeah. I, I, uh, I've i only known you for a short amount of time. And uh, what gets me excited to be able to work with you is I see you as a incredibly passionate and powerful women in your community. Um, uh, I, I am excited to see what you do with your support group out there in Sydney. Um, the way that you talk uh, just injects me with like um, excitement and, and passion all over again. Cause I, 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 uh, I, I just see that you are just ready to go and, and just open the gate and let me out and I can do this. You're confident, you're, you're passionate, and you're, you're incredibly strong. And it's so exciting to be able to work with someone like you. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate that. But it, I hope this doesn't sound too weird. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> it sounds weird saying it. I'm filled with wonder watching myself go through this. I'm kind of blown away by myself going <laughs> shit girl what are you doing <laughs> how, how have you what it, it just it amazes me I mean last year when we had you know the apostate royalty come to Sydney um Sasha and I decided to pull off something that had never been done before and we had the largest gathering of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses thus far we put on an event on Sydney Harbour. We had 130 ex-witnesses attend. 
we uh, did a series of short presentations and videos and we did a door prize and all sorts of things to just sort of help everybody through. We were privileged to have a federal court judge come, <gasps> Angus Stewart, who was the, the senior counsel that just annihilated everybody on the stand at the Royal Commission. He came along and we were able to present um, a token of our appreciation for his work to him. He gave a short speech. And I can't believe we pulled that off, but we did. <sighs> and that day, I was the MC that day, which is unheard of for a woman to get up behind a microphone in Jehovah's Witness world and steer the whole event. But I did. And I, after that, was just like, you've got a lot of potential. Let's see how far you can go. <sighs> That's so cool. What a great story. <laughs> that's, so, that's yeah. And that's part of the reason why I resigned because of my job, because um, I loved being practice manager and I, I loved the work I was doing, but it was, it had, be, it had the danger, uh, not the danger, I think it already had. I had identified myself to my core as a Jehovah's Witness by the work that I had done. As I left, one of my coping mechanisms was to throw myself completely into work. Mm -hmm. And then I identified myself as my job, um, which wasn't healthy either. Mm -hmm. So I realised that what I really want to be involved in, and I know this is sort of heading into another one of your questions, um, I want to be able to help others. I want to be able to, if you've read uh, Lloyd Evans' book, The Reluctant Apostate, at the end of the book, he uses an illustration and I'm, I'm smiling because I'm just looking at the RFR logo and thinking, oh, this is really quite apt because maybe you've got the same idea here. He describes a bridge between being a witness and coming out and you've got to go across this bridge. And he describes that people like himself, like Paul Grundy and Mark and... Ray Franz, who was a governing body member and wrote Crisis of Conscience, that all these individuals are standing on that bridge with their hands held out to help people come across. Mm. And I love that idea. I think that's such a beautiful word picture um, that I want to be one of those on the bridge too, to just put my hand out and help however I can to help make that transition a little bit easier because it's freaking hard. Yeah. It's it's really difficult to do. So if I can be part of that process, then that's what I want to do. And so that led me to um, resigning my job because I can't do both. I can't I can't be so involved in that and want to be involved with volunteer work as much as I want to. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, you answered several of my questions. <laughs> Um, so uh, how did you first hear about um, recovering from religion? So I love listening to a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. and uh, you'll soon pick up a theme on them. I listen to The Scathing Atheist, uh, Cognitive Dissonance, The Friendly Atheist, The How-To Heretic, The Thinking <laughs> Atheist, The Atheist Experience, Talk Heathen, Godless <laughs> Bitches, <clears throat> and they tend to refer <laughs> to uh, RFR quite a lot. So, um, and the Frif Frif, <laughs> the Freedom from Religion Foundation as well. Um, so I checked out both organisations and Recovering from Religion, I, I was just really impressed 
with the structure of the organization because after I had after we'd done the event in June last year I was I everything had led up to that event everything was just we've got to get through that after we got through that it was like okay now what am I going to do um and I I realized that we don't really in the witness community we don't have uh, a bit of a structured place to go to to help you come out mm-hmm. it really it very much depends on the individual as they leave to reach out to an apostate and they you can do to, that online they would have to find their own way out yeah they, yeah 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 they would have to find their own way out and and i just thought like our, our process i was awake for a few months before i even knew that there was a private facebook group mm-hmm. of ex witnesses and i only happened to stumble across that because we went and met paul grundy and then that led to a chain of events so that we just if you didn't know about you wouldn't know that the support was there right. so i began thinking there needs to be a formalized process there needs to be something with structure and i started to think about how we would do that and because of my background as a practice manager i'm thinking oh so we would need policies and procedures and we need training manuals and oh, we'd need an organizational structure and then i had a chat with a dear friend that is uh, well known it at RFR, a certain Shanna Rubio. Oh, she's so cool. The volunteer she's, coordinator. Yes, she's super super cool. And uh, I had I had gotten to know Shanna um, via the John Cedars channel, and we struck up a friendship, and we're doing Skype calls once a month. And so after the June meetup, and I'm thinking about this structure and what are we going to do. Um, I happen to look at recovering from religion and I I look at the the people and I go, oh, Shanna's on the board. (laughs) We need to talk. So I had a chat with her and um, she says, I think we could certainly coordinate together and help one another out. Next thing you know, she's organised a call for for me to talk with Dr Daryl Ray and it just sort of snowballs from there and it ends up turning into um, me becoming a volunteer for the organization and uh, wanting to start a group up here in australia and i want this to go as far as it possibly can i my vision my dream would be to have a, a branch here have something i know and i'm using trigger words this whole time that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to think of another word um yeah, to just bring all the wonderfulness of recovering from religion's work, all of it here, mm. I think would be tremendous. But let's just start baby small and we'll get our support group going first. Uh, we've had the uh, uh, Sydney support group open maybe two weeks. Yeah. And uh, there, it has grown so quickly. Yeah. So quickly. Um, we've got 29 members already. Yeah. That was that's and, really great. And 17 confirmed attending for our first meeting this Saturday. Yeah, that's I'm so excited. Me too. <laughs> I got one uh, one final question. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could travel back in time and talk to your your younger self, your past self, um, who would you want to talk to, and what would you want to talk about? You know, I've had that question asked recently and i struggle with it i really really struggle with it because i don't think i don't think i could have influenced who i was back then 
because I was just so in it. It's just yeah. it was it was everything about me and my red flag my red flag radar was particularly honed for anything that didn't sound right, didn't didn't sound within the organization. So I just I don't think I could have influenced myself by either speaking to someone else or me. And I, I've had to try to work out if there's anything positive about the organization that I could draw on. When when I first woke up I was dealing with such an amount of rage that I saw a therapist just to try to deal with the emotions. And she said to me at the second session, I want you to go away and think about something that was positive about being raised as a Jehovah's Witness. And I couldn't, I just couldn't, because everything that, everything you could pick out as a positive, I debunked. So if she said, you learnt how to care for others because you were a volunteer, I'd say, yeah, care for others that they say you're allowed to care for. You're not allowed to care for someone who's homosexual. You're not allowed to care from, for anybody that falls outside of their scope of what is good. So how is caring for others according to their dictate a positive thing? It just, you know, oh, well, you grew up with a sense of morality. Uh, yeah, again, a morality that's incredibly damaging and harmful. So... I really, it took me, it took me about 12 months to find an answer to that question. And it's related to the question you just asked me. And the answer that sits best with me is that I had to go through it. I had to go through that process. I had to go through all of it. And I could not have woken up sooner than I did. And I, while for a long time I felt anger at missed opportunities and lost potential and things that I could have done, I'm determined to make the most of what I have now. And I think that everything that I went through is making me who I am now so that I can be the best version of myself to be able to help other people. So I wouldn't go back and try to change who I was back then because I, this is so conceited, I wouldn't want to run the risk of changing who I am now. I like who I am now. <laughs> well, Sherry, this has been wonderful. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and talk with me and kind of like um, share uh, so much about uh, what makes you you. Um, I, thank you. I have even more respect for you than I did uh, walking into this meeting because just to hear the, uh, the struggles that you've overcome and the courage that you've had um, is, is inspiring to me. It really and truly is inspiring to me. So Thank thanks you. again. Thank you. Thanks again for sitting down and, and, and being a volunteer, stepping up to be a volunteer. My it pleasure. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, healing, and support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. 
To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.